0: Zencaster. Um it comes it pre mixes you, gives you three different tracks, everyone's got their own audio recorded locally, and it'll even mix it all together for you. So
1: That's cool. Yeah. And it does it, it grabs everyone's audio and kind of automatically uploads it to some central thing.
0: Yeah, it turns up in your Dropbox um within yeah. a few minutes. So it's quite quite a clever little service. So Yeah,
1: it it sounds like it is. If I wasn't such a control freak and I've got my own like insane stack of <laughs> Processes and yeah. and that's, gear and effects and
0: that's probably why you sound better than we do. We just <laughs> <laughs> we have no idea uh, what we, we're doing. Yeah, it took it
1: took a while. I don't know. I feel like our I, I've I've definitely learned a ton, a ton.
2: We started out just our biggest problem was just room echo, especially yes. on my end. Yeah, that's like yep. the
1: number one thing you can do is like I guess get a halfway decent mic and then if you. Well, because you and I, so John and I both at home in our home offices, which was where we used to record from, we've got, you know, wood floors, flat walls, glass, everything just, it's an echo Ah. chamber. Yeah, And that was just a huge problem. So
0: radio journalists, as far as I know, do things like stick a towel over their head and record their stories. (laughs) Like if they're in a hotel room and they need to record it, they stick a towel over their head and record it under the towel.
1: (laughs) I've literally tried, you remember like when, you know, the the little tent forts when you're little, you know, make a tent fort. Okay. So I would basically make a tent for it like around
2: my desk and tried I tried that but it just didn't work it got too hot and well it uh, there's some record of this on Twitter but I created this box and I put foam padding in it and then I put my microphone into that and I had to like lean in and speak to that but I also like took a a blanket and stuck it on the wall behind me to try to stop that echo yeah I mean it all helps just hang up hang
1: a bunch of blankets or throw them on the floor you know just if you have a hard floor
2: it all helps
0: but now I'm really worried because we don't do any of that
2: <laughs> well, I now we have our studio our quote unquote studio and uh, we've got sound absorption panels which help a lot although we still these you know the probably the biggest thing that hurts us in here is these
1: glass our, these glass windows yeah but it's good enough
0: yeah no, cool
1: well <sighs> so this is uh, this is cool um, how do we want to start pod well yeah just I don't know um I kind of, I thought it'd be interesting to just start with like, uh, maybe podcasting. Um, so you guys run the Code Coverage podcast, you and, and Matt Lacey. Yes. Yep. And uh, probably, I you know, I would say safely my favorite my favorite Salesforce podcast. Like, you guys have the one Salesforce podcast that I don't want to miss. I really like the episodes where, um, I mean, the, the guests are interesting and everything, but like, you guys have done a cu- couple where you're just like sitting in a restaurant or a pub or something just start the record you know, hit the record button and just start bullshit that's that is you now yeah. tends to be my favorite type of episode
0: yeah that's i mean that's i'd like to say this has been a conscious decision based on feedback from our audiences and and major ex, you know experimentation but actually it just turns out we were badly organized one day <laughs> <laughs> and and our guest broke his leg or something ridiculous and we wound up in a pub uh um, eating schnitzel so um, yep. and then after that it's just become our default get out of jail when we mm-hmm. haven't got around it so we've gotten a lot less frequent I mean the podcast goes back now I think to 2004 um, but we've are only- you
1: serious yeah yeah, wow. yeah. no yeah
0: Yeah, but we've only done, I think, 38 episodes. So Wait a minute, 2004 or 2014? Sorry, 2014. Yeah, sorry. My apologies. (laughs) My apologies. That sounded so much more impressive. Um, That (laughs) sounded so much more impressive than it actually was. So, yeah, 2014. Um, Yeah, no, no, 2004 and 38 episodes would make us one of those English TV series, you know. Right. I use use every so often. But, yeah, Uh, 2014. and yeah, so, but we are, I think, yeah, we've, we're trying to get on a much more regular cadence now, which is really for us probably monthly. Um, whereas you guys are like clockwork, I think. Um, and you're up it's to It's a what?
2: conscious effort. I mean, we, oh we I think what was the last year where we sat down and said, if we're going to do this, we got to be regular. And we forced ourselves to carve out time. And we've, we've kept to that pretty well. And that's what allowed us to get up to. Yeah. When did, when did we start? Three four years ago,
1: because th- this is our. We've been in this office two and a half years now. Yeah, and we've recorded pretty regularly since we right. Yeah, we've tried to do once a week. It's it is it's like the one of the hardest things I do. I think just because it's it seems like and I enjoy it, but it seems like as soon as you record one and post one and get it out, it seems like you're prepping and then for the next one and then sure enough like it's wednesday again and
0: yeah Yeah. record and that was one of the challenges we had with guests is that by the time you worked out people's availability and time zones it was you know i think it knocked us out for regularity um and then after that you just sort of fall into a deep hole and you know motivation waxes and wanes and and all that so you know you know, well, we and everyone's okay. you
1: know everyone's so busy, right? I mean, you guys work, you got families, you're oh, yeah. traveling. It, it just it yeah, makes it almost impossible. I've, I've rec- and like you know, t- look at trying to schedule this. You know, you are what fifteen hours ahead of us, which is I don't I don't know what it is about human brains and time zone math, but they just don't. At least in my brain, it's so difficult. But. And in fact, when you replied to our, I think you replied to our email thread this morning, was that not like three in the morning for you? Yeah,
0: but I just got back from Portland, so I'm Uh, (laughs) jet-lagged. So I I was lying in bed with my phone. Um... Uh, just working, you know, through all my little apps and notifications of things that come in from overnight. So, um, but when you said 11am, yeah, the easiest way for me to express it was that was in about six hours, right? Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, every other mechanism was just going to be utterly, utterly confusing. Um Yeah. But, yeah no time and,
1: but, but there were basically there was basically like a, a 2 hour window that we have that it's a somewhat reasonable time for us and a somewhat reasonable time for you
0: yeah and, and you're lucky cuz today's actually my last day of time off uh, so i'm back to work yeah. tomorrow so i'd probably be having um, a meeting about now um yeah so
1: so um back to, back, I guess back to podcast i'm just curious like what um you know you and matt how I many what what was the conversation like when you guys came together? How did you decide or why did you want to start doing a
0: podcast? Um, you know, I'm trying to think up a particularly elaborate and humorous story involving burning bushes, but nothing like that. Make something that. up if you have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think I was listening to the uh, button click admin podcast. Um, which at the time was the only Salesforce podcast that was around, and one of the things I and and you know I will prefix by saying this I'm not a complete jerk, um, but one of the things I um I I, I I lamented to Matt was there was a I wanted a podcast that contained some actual you know technical content <laughs> um, because at the time I think Button Click it actually contained very little information about. Salesforce, you know, administration or, or tips or, or or technical advice. It, it contained an awful lot of stuff that I would describe as inspiration and people's stories, which is absolutely fine. And there's a there's a, a massive market for that. Um, so I was, I, I sort of, I think I mentioned it to Matt, and and we sort of kicked it around a few times about starting a, a podcast specifically for programmers, um, which at the time there wasn't anything, um, and figured that there was an opportunity to do something about that. So I do remember a dinner at a burger restaurant near Crown Casino in Melbourne, um, <laughs> where we we, we netted out the basic principles. Um, and it was either there or around that time that I I thought of the name Code Coverage. Um and Matt wanted to go with a, a sort of a, a 80s video game theme because of his, uh, his video game stuff. Um, so my wife did our cover art. Um, I found some free music and a voiceover guy <laughs> who you can pay, a, what is it, 150 bucks or something and he'll, he'll, he'll record you in inter- a thing. Um, yep. and, then, and then we got going, so...
2: Um, I have been I've been curious for the longest time about that whole intro how that came about so (laughs)
0: Um, Well after we after Matt said he he wanted I think the 8-bit sort of feel um, um, I think Barb my wife picked out the something inspired by Super Mario's Brothers um mm-hmm. and did the little avatars of us. Um and so then I just started listening to music and there's a, a number of different places where there's free music online and it was a Creative Commons song, I think. Um and it, you're just sitting there listening to music after music after music after music and it was suddenly it just hit me and I'm like, that sounds fantastic. Um so I I wrote to the 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 creator of the song. Um and thankfully, he came back and said, no, that's fantastic. Just tell me about what the podcast is and feel free to use it. Um, so I, I cut out the, the sample bit that we used and, and uploaded it to a voiceover um, with the request for a normal and heroic reading of the intro. <laughs> <laughs> um
2: and 24 hours... It comes off as that yeah, the heroic side of
0: it. Yeah, the 20, 24 hours later, I got back a normal and heroic reading, which the guy had mixed together with, like, it was fantastic. I mean, the guy who did the voiceover, um, the actor, like, it's a service that I found, and he mixed it to the right duration and dipped the, you know, did the right duration intro and, and dipped the volume and did all that stuff for us and just sent it back. So, you know, I'd like to claim... Brilliant audio engineering, but no, it was it was someone we paid, and yeah. um and and the minute I listened to it, I just basically pissed myself laughing, and um and flicked it over to Matt, and and I think he did the same, and we just knew that was that. So the whole song is actually one of our episodes. <laughs> if you go looking through the podcast, um, I actually put the whole thing up there with a credit for the person who uh, who created it. So nice. It's it's been um fun. I, for
2: the longest time. I I tried because I thought maybe one of you was doing the voice, and you just kind of you know did your best impression of some announcer. No, no, and, and I and I I was I was willing to bet money that it was you because I felt like yours might your voice might have been the closest one to that if you were just kind of. Oh, uh, see, now to me it's it's obviously a professional voice person. Really? Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, nah. I, it's
2: well done. I I like that. I'm just saying. I I in my head I'm thinking. It's one of them doing that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, what amazes me is like I think Scott Hanselman does. He has a professional voiceover on every episode. I think, or he did. Last. Oh no,
1: that's that's no, that's um. <laughs> I don't listen to his podcast, yeah. uh, but that is um not at, Well, he could probably could be a professional, but that's um that's Richard. What's his name? Um. He's another tech guy. He's on. He's on the podcast sometimes.
0: Oh, okay. So it does that. Well, um, he sounds pretty good anyway. But the concept yeah. of recording. No, he a, does sound very good. Yeah. Concept yeah. of recording a bespoke one for every podcast sounds like far, far too much work. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we're we're bad enough getting the show notes together. So, but I, I think we're um, we're, uh, we're we're we wearing our Australian uh, slight apathy with uh, with pride at the moment and just rolling with it. <laughs> so. <laughs>
1: Uh, the the, the laid-back Australian take thing. Take yourself
0: too seriously, right? You know, yeah. So,
1: um, I did notice. I think it was on the last episode. You know, the intro is playing, and and it just kind of jumped out at me. It 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 says you know something about the Salesforce One. <laughs> yeah. Platform. Don't get and me I, started. And I I thought to myself, what does that even mean anymore? Actually, I don't what, know. What does Salesforce
0: One mean anymore? I don't yeah. know. I I mean I, <laughs> I it was one thing that struck me if a little while after we recorded. It was that now that when Salesforce changes the name of their product, we're going to have to. Go and redo the <laughs> intro, which irritates me no end. Um, but I guess that's one lesson we can all learn: is yeah. is
1: don't couple anything that costs you any money that you know, yeah, is is, like, a, is a decision that's hard to make to any of their trademarks or brand names yeah. because they tend to change. Well, we, we were very
2: clear <laughs> when we came up with names and logos that we weren't going to use anything cloud related or force related. It was just going to be this very unique thing. Which which I'm glad we did. But we also were like, and and we're, this is not going to be a Salesforce
1: podcast. We're just going to talk right. about what, whatever we want to right. talk about. And it turns out, you know, that we just we.
2: Well, we, we gravitate
1: that, to Salesforce. Well, we knew that stuff. you kind of
2: had to have a niche, a conversation. You had to kind of yeah. target somebody. But we, we also knew that, you know, if we wanted to branch off or we wanted to talk about other things, that, you know, we didn't want to tie ourselves too closely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's not like you've tattooed the logo to yourself or anything like that, you know? Right. <laughs> um, right. The, uh, yes. But, uh, yeah, it's, 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 I believe they're going to go through another renaming. So at least, I, uh, uh, I heard a rumor. Well, oh, they
2: already have. Everything's Einstein now. So Einstein. It's oh, yeah, Einstein, Einstein
0: but now, yeah. well, it used to be the Force.com platform, and then it became the App AppCloud. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a rumor there's another name coming, which I'll keep to myself because I don't think I'm allowed to say, but it's you can probably figure it out because it's one of the names that's already out there now. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's it's that's But the App Cloud announcement, was my I thought, was a hilarious one when it came out because it was one of the first true announcements with genuinely nothing changed like they just renamed it <laughs> yeah, and and i remember oh and
2: and then and then the uh, the, the bloggers were were released it was like they released well, the house like, yes. oh yeah it yeah. was like this exactly. this new thing <laughs> yeah, yeah. salesforce is innovating and, once again yeah. with this new app cloud and like uh, you know
1: gartner's is- writing reports on the app cloud <laughs> it's, it's like okay good job gartner it, you're, you're earning your you're earning your pay exactly. there exactly yeah. there
0: was an analyst i follow on twitter <laughs> who i genuinely you know think of being as fairly straight you know straight bat He he doesn't he, he seems to be on the money or at least I thought and then he was waxing lyrical about app cloud I suddenly realized oh my god you know all he knows is the briefing um, yeah and because you know I was looking around through there was it was it was did not happen at a release date it did not happen at dreamforce it was just middle of like one Wednesday afternoon it came out mm-hmm. and I was like oh okay right um, yep. so yeah what do you do eh so
2: yeah Uh, I'm just trying to make a
0: quick buck. I'm waiting for the
1: big (laughs) rename, right? Because the name Salesforce at this point is very much, you know, pigeonholing, right?
0: Yeah, and the stock ticker as well, I think CRM. um, CRM, Because most of the big projects that we're engaged on, I would argue CRM isn't his primary intent, right? Um, uh, It might be, if you look at it a certain way, but it's it's not necessarily the the primary basis of, of what their application is. Um, and so, I, th- I yeah, I do wonder if it's limiting them at the big end of town, particularly when they try to get to this $20 billion target they're talking about, which um, three years to basically double their revenue. That's going to be yeah, an they, interesting one.
1: I can, and I can see them doing that. You know, and I I don't know, I guess I look at some of the some of the products I've worked on in there. They don't seem straight up CRM. I mean, I guess you could argue they're CRM, but you know, um still their you know, big bread and butter. University though. student portals and I do a lot of portals for some reason, or communities I guess, yeah that are I guess are kind of CRM in a, in a way, but they're yeah, just loosely CRM. It,
0: it it depends. I mean there's a there was a Gartner thing that came out that actually put dynamics in front for for Salesforce automation. Um which which is a very particular form of CRM usage um, which probably is correct given that as a sales support tool out of the box there's a lot of things that Salesforce doesn't actually do you can certainly build them or you can put app exchange products in and you can do that kind of stuff but just you know turn it on on day one and, and start using it that way not so much and I'm thinking about things like you know Power maps and, and that sort of stuff that uh, people often use um, in, in those sort of canned sales processes. So yeah, I don't know. It's a it, it's certainly evolving. I think more towards a generic computing business application platform. Um, the sort of a combination of Lotus Notes on steroids meets workflow order management systems meets. Anything that has customer information engaged in it somehow.
1: You know, and, and it's, I mean, Salesforce does a lot of things really well. And in, in, in some ways, I think, I definitely think they're an innovative company. But is it is it weird to think that they're not necessarily like super great at CRM? I just feel like there's actually better CRMs out there that are more user friendly, that have had, you know, lead scoring forever and just they're, they're, more uh, yeah. built with like the, the you know the sales rep or marketing person in mind
0: I don't know I, I did a little tour of, of of so I would describe small business CRMs you know just having a look around um, and out of the box a lot a lot of them do more than salesforce in that particular area in um, those sorts of things but you know few large organizations can need just that. You know, they need a lot more than that. Right. Um, yep. And pretty soon someone wants a quote quotation form or a CPQ product embedded in, in what they're doing or, um, you know, or they want to see that sort of 360 degree view of the customer and pump information from different data sources into the system and so on and so forth. You know, that's, that's where Salesforce sort of comes into its own. Um, yep,
1: and you know Salesforce has got you know a lot of the enterprise stuff. So there's you know all the APIs, you know single sign-on, Saml, yeah. all, you know all this.
0: they kind of and, and 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 having been involved in a number of conversations around Salesforce security with some pretty large organizations, they've done a very good job over the last couple of years of keeping pace with with demands. I think so things like shield encryption and audit history and all that sort of stuff. There's whoever's running that sort of Trust security side of the product um, seems to be fairly on the money um, with with where people are at and what people are wanting and, and being able to keep up with it. Um, so, so that's I, I that's quite reassuring. I don't know
2: if it's it's them being on the money though. I, I I know a lot of people who have worked with some of these large organizations that have started off implementing. and I mean, like multi-year implementations, millions of dollars of you know work. And they come across these things. They come across, you know, these needs of security and all that kind of stuff. So I, I really think a lot of it's just coming from these larger enterprise companies and yeah. saying, "Hey, we need this. You don't offer it, and then all of a sudden it becomes this new feature that they put out."
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that. And at least they're listening to that, right? Because there's yeah, there's, there's other and I think that's one thing that's... they've always done
2: really well is they've always kind of. You know, from the idea exchange and everything, you know, they've always kind of listened to the community and, and let that kind of dictate some of these features that come that make it through. Yeah, yeah. Except for
1: when
0: Jeremy talks. I was
1: gonna say, I feel like the <laughs> yeah,
0: they're listening to someone, just definitely not me. Well, I, I've been I've been listening to you talking about wanting uh, modules and packaging in Salesforce. I think going back to about 2010 <laughs> when I got into the platform because I remember you 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 talking about it um, back then um so one day y- your ship will come in
1: i guess so i, I and i'm just so curious at what form will they you know will they will they bring apex into the 21st century will they allow you to run an you know another a different language on salesforce like what I'm, form is this going to
0: take yeah i i mean if i was a betting man i I, <laughs> I i'd bet on them running javascript on the back end for salesforce before uh before well, Apex, you want to, Apex version two comes out,
1: do you but want to hear a sad story?
0: <laughs> what's What's that? They're already doing it, okay. <laughs> no.
1: So at it, it Trailhead DX, I guess Trailhead DX, um, there was a, oh, I guess it's kind of a kind of an invite only meeting, and it was, I guess, um, Salesforce's some of their bigger or better or more technically advanced customers, and they had, I won't even name names, but you know, the one of the, I would say, very high level, kind of executive level. Uh, you know, principal engineer types or whatever, uh, running this meeting, and the the point of the meeting was f- for him to kind of give us a glimpse into what they're doing, but then also take kind of questions and complaints. And a lot of people did have this 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 ask of, you know, we want to be able to you know run something other than Apex or somehow get out of the limits or do something more modern. And th- so his question was, okay, well, uh, let me ask you guys this. Let me show a hand. Java or JavaScript, and guess which one got more hands. JavaScript. Better JavaScript. Yeah,
2: and I just wanted to. I want that, that makes <laughs> you want to cry. I've <laughs> a little tear.
0: <laughs> uh, <it laughs> came down oh, the eyes. Tear is one thing. Angry is another one. Another yeah. feeling I might feel.
1: Um, now, now I the, Now, listen. I'll listen. Yeah. I would take JavaScript in a in a second. Right at this point, but um I'd, I'd rather have java if i or or you know or the jvm right so I, you know kotlin or scala or whatever your you know whatever your pleasure is
2: yeah but but this, well i mean that that depends on server side cuz salesforce is going to say hey we're giving you javascript with lightning but that's such it's such a client side technology yeah yeah
0: there's there's two things at work here i mean there's the technical merits of whatever it is you're doing and then there's the marketing optics and the marketing optics of your own proprietary language that only works on salesforce versus the belief that you're somehow supporting something that you can be used elsewhere is an important optic and certainly something I've had conversations with customers who are like, you know, can we do this on Salesforce? Can we just bring this code across? Um, And, you know, I understand that they've got marketing needs, but I'm pretty sure whatever we get in terms of JavaScript on the platform won't be the JavaScript everybody knows and thinks it'll be some, you know, some version of it that is, is, uh, has, you know, all the wonderfully bad bits and none of the good bits.
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: The,
0: um, the
1: anti, the anti Crockford bits. Yeah.
0: And, well at uh,
2: least with Lightning, they <laughs> haven't gone that far. I mean, at, at most they've abstracted the window object from us, but they yeah. haven't really touched JavaScript.
1: Oh, I mean, no. it's not that
2: they've, I don't think it's that they've changed the language.
1: It's just the context it's in, you know, like, I, and I don't, you know, you guys both know, I don't have. I just don't do a lot of lightning, but I hear I just am mainly listening to what all you other guys are talking about, and it's you know it's just not the same Java ecosystem. Or just sorry, JavaScript ecosystem that everyone uh, else is. You know, no, you, it's not.
0: You you yeah. I mean, J- JavaScript is is a language that is a very very simple language in terms of what it actually contains, and unlike Java, there's barely a standard library. Right, there's, there's right. flavors of it, but nothing right. nothing on the same size and scope of what's in the Java Java runtime. So then you're starting to get into a definition of, well, what exactly is the JavaScript Salesforce has implemented? And it's basically the JavaScript language with its own set of libraries. And God help you if you bring in anybody else's third-party stuff. Um, but, I mean, I, the Lightning components I did, I wrote very very little Apex, um, and with the new data services that they're bringing out, it looks like you'll be writing even less JavaScript, uh, less Apex in the construction of a normal uh, a normal uh, Lightning component, um, and and that's I guess probably a good thing. Um, I don't know. I I don't have this pathological fear of the apex programming language that seems to be permeating Salesforce's marketing right now I, I have a pathological fear of apex triggers um, <laughs> you know yeah. any any system built on apex triggers for me is 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 you know, fraught for fear and anguish um, yeah but but the actual programming language itself I mean I'm I, I spent years writing PHP and then ruby i have spent a long time without interactive debuggers and autocomplete and and all sorts of things that that i i i enjoy when i go back to java so i'm sort of hardened to you know sitting in a copy of notepad and and writing out some of the stuff um so but yeah I, i What can you say? Uh, I, I would hate to see them pick JavaScript just on a fashion basis because to me, I don't think we've had the great JavaScript blowback yet. I think in a few years, there's going to be a whole bunch of people you know, crapping on Node.js apps in the same way they crap on PHP and Ruby apps. You know, you either die a hero, or you live long enough to become a villain. Um, I, yeah, and, I feel like
1: there's already been some some backlash against the Node thing.
0: Well, know. I think I think it is, and it, and it gets to the the crux of our little uh, our little disagreement, Jeremy, on the subject of uh, of packaging systems and so forth. Um, so, which. <laughs> Is
1: hey, well, hey, it it got you on the
0: show. So it did, it did, <laughs> and and you know, um, I I like this. I actually. Yeah, you know, if you can't have a robust discussion about these things, then we're doing it wrong. We, we should exactly. we should have these kind of things and and get, and get uh, a and, and get to misrepresent each other's views and then and then and then sort it out. Um, for, for for one, just thing I'd like to get on the record: I am not a happy soup guy. All right, I am not a happy <laughs> uh, soup. But guy.
1: but aren't we all in in a little bit at least uh, happy soup guys? So because
0: yeah. we're we're made to. We're made <laughs> yeah, to well. right. So I mean, my first large scale sales Salesforce project was back in 2010, 2011, and I think we wound up writing three and a half meg of code um, <laughs> when, when we wow. got that thing done in the end. And, um, and you know, we didn't have packages and namespaces, and and the best you could get to was a naming standard for controllers and, and, and breaking the application into modules in the sense that you know, classes and and certain parts of metadata were prefixed with some kind of three-character indicator to indicate which part oh, yeah. of the subsystem they came to. and I that mean, was
1: you're the, describing my, my daily strategies for for not going Mm -hmm. crazy
0: yeah and and it's (laughs) and it's something you have to do which is fine if your system has some sense of of a design up front but as systems emerge over time particularly in the way Salesforce once does you find yourself in this process where you'd have to go back and rename everything and of course we know how easy that is um so um so yeah you've got this you've got this problem of the the packaging, and I would love that every single piece of metadata in Salesforce had the ability to tag it, or another field, or something that let me identify it as belonging to a subsystem of some sort. Right? Um, now, a logical extension of that is to say, well, everything will have a a namespace, and I should have a hierarchy of namespaces, and and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that would be would be fantastic. But crap, I just settle for it. Tag right, um, <laughs> a tag on it, another field somewhere where it, it didn't. I didn't have to actually encode it into the actual metadata, you know, the API field or, or something like that. Um, and I and I would love love Salesforce to have that as a capability, and for me to be able to say, get me all these things that belong to the subsystem. Now I've got an extracted package. Now I want to move that from thing thing A to thing B. Um, I think that's good for. You know, organization purposes, but I don't think it really
2: solves the problem of code isolation and, you know, preventing collisions and all these cross dependency issues that, well, that happen. And,
1: and since since Steven brought this up, so the you know, the the obvious problem with no kind of name spacing is that it's just your your name like collision domain, right? You've right. got one big bucket and everything has to be uniquely named in that. And so you know, not only do you have to come up with unique unique names for things, which you and and also, by the way, Apex is not generous on their names. In Java, you're you know, you literally can have a class name, yeah. I think it's it's like I think it's thousands of characters and I think Apex is forty characters.
0: Yeah, it is. So not only,
1: not only is there no namespace, you've got you've got to be able to fit your, your ghetto namespace, and the name of, you know, a good, unique name of your class in 40 characters.
0: Yeah, so 96% of your classes, your Apex controllers, end with controller except for the two that end with CTLR. Cause it's the, you know
1: what? I've switched yeah. to CTRL, yeah. yeah. And I hate that because I am yeah. not a fan of abbreviating, but I just make these compromise, which is not that big of a deal, but, yeah, you know, it's just you see things like that. I,
0: but my... Uh, go ahead. No, no, no. Well, the thing that this is the thing that gets to my packaging stuff, right? And and this is something that Node suffered for. We we all, re- I don't know if we all remember the the left padding problem that node had oh yeah the guy
1: pulled his package
0: right he he pulled his package because (laughs) because someone accused him of copyright infringement and he said screw you all and pulled all his packages and so an 11 line method that did left padding wound up breaking something like 40 percent of all the node apps on the internet um for for several hours until someone figured out how to Insert the thing back in again, and that to me is the kind of thing that I've seen in Java, where I cracked open—you know, you crack open a large-scale Java application and find three logging frameworks and two PDF frameworks and two—you know—and and and it's just like it's turtles all the way down. It's this relies on this, <laughs> that relies on that. No, I don't know. I I could learn that, but I know this other thing, so I'll bring that thing in here and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, yep. And in the context of Salesforce with 4 meg of code and 60 seconds of CPU time and yada, 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 I am actually more terrified <laughs> of, of uncontrolled shoveling of dependencies. Well, I, I do want to correct something you say. It's not 60, it's 10. I would Sorry. love it to be 60. Okay. <laughs> Is that batching, asynchronous, I think, 60 seconds? Um, Maybe. Yeah. Um, and and just that async, you know, there's this like mindless shoveling where people stop thinking um, and just start including um, to build an app together. Um, and maybe I'm going about it the wrong way. but No, I, <laughs> I have a great fear of that myself. I mean, that's one of my
2: hangups when it comes to these packages is that, it, it, and I'm that way. You know, when I started trying to get into React or even Angular and I started loading up these uh, boilerplate you know, applications that like these things that would just get you started. I'd I'd have to sit there and comb through all the packages that are in there because I'm trying to understand what is everything in here and what does it do and why does it do it. Yeah, and I'm amazed at how much stuff is in there.
1: It's yeah, yeah. Although although to a large degree, you shouldn't have to understand what all these transitive dependencies are for. Like that's kind of the beauty of saying hey. I just want this FTP client library. I don't care that it uses the string handling library and all these other things. I don't need to, you don't need, you know, ideally you don't need to understand those. But, and but, um,
0: I, but I I agree. But the thing that we're all paying Salesforce large sums of money for is an environment in which they provide a whole bunch of services. and And I think that rather than you know, pushing for the ability for a third party to build an FTP library for Apex, God forbid, it's just a completely fictional example, but Mm -hmm. um, Salesforce should offer you that as a standard library for you to use. I mean... But
1: that's like saying saying that Oracle should provide every third party library you need in Java, you know, it's just, it's can't, it's impossible.
0: I mean... Maybe... Maybe, but, and I'll explain why I say maybe, because there's an awful lot of things Salesforce provides for you that in a Java application you are having to rely on, right? You've got to get your MVC framework, you've got to get your object relational mapping framework, you've got to get your your logging framework, you've got to get your PDF generation framework, all of these things that even templating require you know in the front end you know jsp pages or wicket or whatever mvc stuff like all of these things are, are in in java or node or ruby libraries that you rely on because the platform that you're lying on doesn't necessarily provide it but salesforce does most of what i've just described for you and and in a sense that's what i think it should be doing right i and and even more, I mean, there should be a lot more standard libraries. The last thing they expanded was the String class a few years back, where they you know, added a massive number of methods to it. I think inspired by yeah, XPath. They, they just
1: opened. They just opened some of them. That they're just passing right through from
2: the Java String class, yeah.
1: I guess. But yeah, we'll go ahead and but, enable these. But that's
2: that's kind of. <laughs> but it was great because I had so many classes where I just I, I had to recreate those. Yeah, and, you, and right, and you're and you're here's my point though. You're
1: copying, and the thing is, is and Steven, I mean, you described some of the common and very real dysfunctions of when you have, you know, a basically a public system, right, where anyone can provide packages and they can they can screw their versioning up, they can they can do stupid things with their dependencies and everything else, but like in general. Um, you know, at least the the well known and and more common and popular libraries, like things are done pretty well, and we've <laughs> we've figured a lot of this stuff out. A lot of the mistakes people used to make with doing versioning wrong and went Maven or whatever. You know, a lot of that's been fixed. And and yes, those again, like I said, those problems are real, but uh, it man, it sure beats the pants off of not having any kind of system back. I mean, so I remember. Okay, this goes back b- before our Salesforce days, because I, Stephen, I think I think you and I have been. Uh, you know, Twitter pals for back to, I mean, I can remember you creating like, you know, a uh, JavaFX. Didn't you create a JavaFX, like a little Twitter thing? Yeah,
0: I did. Yeah, I, I, like I thought, thought that was good. Yeah. Back <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I had this like, and it was funny, I guess I would, I don't know if I, I think I would stay up too late, but the, I had this like contingent of, you know, basically, I think Australians and, and New Zealand, New Zealanders that were, um, you know, software engineers, but also very funny. Like, there's just funny, like there's probably half a dozen, like, I'm trying to think it was like, you know, you like Michael Neal like in a, I don't know a few other people Yeah yeah um <laughs> but um you know, so I've, I know you've I know you've got some history of Java, but do you remember the days when you you know you built your own class path and you had to when you wanted in, you know when you wanted to include the you know Struts library you had to read the docs on what things it expected oh, to be on the class path and then go build your totally. class path and, right? and, and it was
0: insane. And when I built that Java JavaFX client, and for anybody who knows doesn't know JavaFX is a client side Java library for doing cross desktop applications um, and when i was writing it it was in JavaScript script which was its own little peculiar programming language i mean right. that was so low level that when i needed to build my own scroll pane i had to draw a a rectangle which was the scroll bar and you know basically write a scrolling pane from first principles using nothing yeah. but rectangles and circles right
1: well to be to be fair those were early days for java it, effects, it right? was um, <laughs> yeah.
0: and then in in later releases those turn out to be fully functional controls that you just use you don't have to build that stuff from first cr- Thing, but I must have spent four months of my life trying to get scrolling to work properly, and that's that crap. Um, that's, sorry, I'm, I'm working through my trauma. Um, the, <laughs> that's, that's what we're here for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but but again, you know, the, the the vendor came into thing into play and actually did what they were supposed to do, and and now, you know, there's a lot of that stuff that even if you wanted to write a JavaFX app, um, hollow. Jonathan, who's still working on the controls project, um, then a lot of that stuff's already provided to you. And I feel that's the moral obligation <laughs> Salesforce <laughs> has for us, right? Yeah. So well, I think to, I think to, I think
2: that's true. If, if they really want to be a platform, a development platform that they claim and say they want to be, however, I mean the flip side to this, because I'm on your side with this whole package thing, but the flip side to it is is as we've seen, everything has to come back to to selling licenses with Salesforce. Like they're not they're not going to just Implement something because it's going to make developer lives better, unless right. it translates into. <coughs> more licenses. I
1: just, can't, I just, it's hard for me to believe that they're not there yet. That there's not okay. enough, you know, companies that are looking at Salesforce as a, as a potential solution, but they're seeing, you know, I mean, Stephen, I mean, what is your experience when you talk to you know some of your Java buddies and you try to explain them to them what developing on Salesforce is like? You know, I, I don't know about yours, but I mean, I, I get really funny looks. It's just, it's not. It doesn't seem like a real attractive thing that you know uh, an experienced N- software engineer kind of is. No, wants to I.
0: To. I mean, I. I mean, I'll say something like, "Well, you, while you guys are still arguing about your logging framework, I'll have finished the application and be having a few beers, right?" Um, yeah. It, it, well, that's kind of a that's kind of a straw man. I mean, I, you know, I
1: I wouldn't be arguing because I would just you know SLF4J and log back and I'm good. To yeah, go. you know, I, I have the guy you want
0: something different, so now you're in an. Argument
1: yeah. Well, he's so. not in charge. I am. <laughs> <laughs> But the, You're, I mean, the, the it's it's kind of it's kind of a weird argument to say that you know uh, it's having no choice is, you know I I get it there's there is a serenity to that I think or a, I, uh, I, I think some kind of,
0: <laughs> my I've got some you know, beliefs I don't think that the world of web applications has particularly advanced very significantly <laughs> since about nineteen ninety nine maybe. I don't know. I think when I stopped having to process... Well, the hilarious thing is that when I started doing web development, it was with Perl, and I had to parse HTTP headers by hand and reconstruct HTTP headers by hand. And guess what you do in Node? You send back HTTP headers. Um, yeah. I, the, I mean... I don't know. I've, it, I've
1: done a couple of little express things, and its i got to say, it's pretty nice, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's still the same to me the same things over and over again i mean yeah, you've but,
1: still... okay so that's a great example but look at like 90 percent of salesforce developers don't even know what an http header is and i and i guess they don't have to care in some ways but like they're working on a they're working on a on a platform called the internet yeah
0: but they don't even understand well i've <laughs> i've i've worked with people now who've, whose it careers are in the order of 10 years long and, and the only technology they've ever worked with is salesforce right So there's there's a. And this is similar to, I remember working with an ASP.NET developer, I think it was predating ASP.NET, I think it was classic ASP back in 99 when they were trying to figure out how to send an unauthorized response back to us to, when someone hit something. And I said, well, send a 403. And they looked at me blankly and said, what do you mean? And I had to explain to them HTTP headers, right? Um, because they didn't have know what that was and there was a method call they had to call and that's what they did. Um, so I'm all in favor of people learning the principles. That's fantastic. I just find it bizarre that 20 years after building web applications, validating a form is still a, First, work from first <laughs> it's kind of an unsolved problem is an unsolved problem. Uh, I mean, for f- yeah. no, can I swear on your podcast? But uh, f- yeah, I mean, f- it might get believed, okay. but yes, <laughs> for f- sake, really, <laughs> I mean, 90% of the web applications are about collecting information from people, and this is not a solved problem. Like, that, that to me is some kind of either collective, like insanity, or the people who get off on creating all these frameworks, that's not the kind of problem they're interested in solving. They want to come up with another way of routing or another, you know, something that's a bit more exciting than pragmatic use.
2: Look what happened with with HTML. What what was HTML 4 strict or XML, HXXML or whatever it was? Mm -hmm. I don't remember it anymore. But, I mean, that took a more strict path with, you know, trying to wrap everything and, and basically have an opinion on how these frames and forms would work and interact and all that kind of stuff and the separation of design and UI and data and it just didn't do well. We all went, we all ended up right back to where we started. Well,
1: X, XHTML went basically nowhere. Yeah.
2: You
0: know? yeah, and I mean, at least with HTML, the later HTML standards, I can say that this field should be a number and this should be a field should be an email address and I get some basic, you know, Browser support for for validating it, which to me is fantastic because you know the amount of web applications that would stuff up validating an email address, you know, just as something as fundamental as that. Um, if we can avoid those issues, so you know, a lot of my feelings are around Salesforce should provide these kinds of libraries, and their whole marketing right now is in a weird place that they're 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 almost. Yeah, they spent a lot of time you know, going after developers and talking to developers, and they still are. But a lot of their other marketing material is very anti-developer. Um, and that's carrying across into feelings customers are having about, about how much customization you should do in Salesforce versus configuration. Um, and I think some of it's a little misguided because development on Salesforce is not the same as development in Ruby like you can run your 4 year old apex application just fine you you don't need um you, you don't need to be so fearful because salesforce has actually done a fairly good job of maintaining backward compatibility so these things will keep running um so so i just think there's a lot of there's a lot of Noise in their marketing right now, which I don't think is meaning that they're spending as much time solving some of the things we talk about and some of the problems we have. Um, but I think ebbs and flows will happen. I, mean, I, I don't find flows particularly appealing, personally. Um, I find them very difficult. Nice segue. <laughs> yeah, but I, I find I find flows very. You know, I don't find them particular. They're very difficult to debug. I've, now, are, we, are you talking about flow specifically visual, or process builder? Uh, well, yeah, process builder is the younger brother of, yeah, of yeah. visual flows. But I find visual flows very difficult to follow. And if you look at the visual flow that Marketing Cloud creates as part of its integration between Salesforce and marketing, you will, like, possibly cry. <laughs> it, it's It creates something like 40 in- interconnected boxes. Um. With lines running all over the place, and I, I, you know, there's no practical way a human being could ever debug it. Um, yeah. so I've probably gone off on an unrelated, unhinged rant then, but um, I mean, you said,
1: yeah, you got, I mean, there's a lot, of, lot there were a lot of things in there that I, I thought were interesting. I mean, just the whole, the marketing message, can we, can we rewind that just yeah, for sure. a moment? Like yep. the their marketing, I mean, um, I feel like Salesforce is in a little bit of an identity crisis, or at least when it, at least as it comes to, um, you know, developers and how you build on Salesforce and what their message is to their customers. Um, on the one hand, you know, there's this whole DX movement and they're clearly investing in, you know, developer experience. Although, you know, we could talk about that. I don't know if you've done much with DX yet, but I find it to be somewhat interesting topic. I've, I've tried to get into it, but um, we'll table that for just for a minute. But... um and on the other hand it's um it you know you see this barrage of tools that that are purported to relieve you of having to do any development or at least any anything that looks like programming right or traditional programming yeah and i think i mean i think that's got to be driven by back to john's point selling licenses right i mean if if your message to customers is, "Hey, not only do we have the world's most customizable and professional and whatever that what are they they say intelligent and everything else CRM, yeah. a, you know, customer success platform, whatever," did I get all the buzzwords in? I Think so. Okay, um, but it doesn't take expensive people to set it up and maintain it because we all know like, that's what that's what companies are scared of is the is the Boy, giant I mean, they, SAP they have all project the and everything to train or, all those or people. you know what used to be the giant SAP project and now become the giant. I mean, there's been you know articles written about this by you know some of these journalists um about how th- these Salesforce products are getting like this. They're getting oh. big, they're getting risky, they're getting their multi-year, They're multi-million and all this stuff. And, and as much as Salesforce can, I think, try to get in front of that yep. and cut it off a little bit and have this message of, listen, it doesn't take you know hard to find expensive software engineers. You can, you can do all this, you know, uh, what, what do they call it? Um, with clicks right clicks not code
0: yeah mm-hmm. and and that's that's i think there's some there's multiple things at work here i think an America, might have it more than australia does but i think the first generation of oh we went completely crazy with apex and look what we've done is coming home to roost and i think lightning is the trigger for uncovering what people have been doing right? Because there's some people who are getting the message, let's move to lightning and turning around and looking at their Salesforce orgs and suddenly finding that, oh my God, they've gone and customized a whole bunch of things. And Salesforce's reaction is, well, see, so you shouldn't have Customized it. You,
1: <laughs> you shouldn't have listened to us back then. when We told you it. to do that. You have, you I, I actually, have
2: it. I actually think we're just going to repeat history when it comes to lightning. always. That's all we do. I mean, I, I, I don't see it as people learning from what they did in Apex. I just see it as as they're just going to go and make the same mistakes because I see the same requests. <laughs> yeah. Even though now we can put we can embed this component into an, into a st- standard page without having to override the whole thing, which is great. They still want us to do all these weird, very. Uh, specific customizations and right. then and, and it's not just one they want to do like you know he, three different types of related lists three different sidebar components but this and is, that page is yeah, getting really heavy
0: but this is the thing I, I have no problem at all with a customer wanting to customize their salesforce inter- interface if the value of what they're doing is instrumental to the value of their business if it's the order form that six you know 65 people hit every hour that could save them three to five minutes in and, and filling out an order, you should customise the hell out of that. But if you don't like forecasting because Terry has a feeling, right, <laughs> and yeah. control of the budget and would like a completely new customised for forecasting implementation, then, you know, go away. That's my thoughts, right? Um And so, and I I mean, I've seen, I've seen Salesforce walks where someone replaced every single stated standard page layout on every major object because they wanted related lists in tabs, not in a list. So they Mm -hmm. wanted multiple tabs with each tab being a related list. Now, I think that's an invalid. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's an invalid request. But people have gone off and done that kind of thing because they could. Um,
1: yeah, that, and that gets back. And I know some clients, you just are literally uh, unhelpable, if that's a word. But I mean, that's when you've got to educate these people who are, you know, you've got to try to, you know, help them see the light. And, and, and,
2: yeah. oh, see, I see that's, that's the problem with these tools, though. These tools like Flow and, you know, all these different components that you can just grab off the, the app exchange and toss them onto the screen. There's very little thought required to putting it to implementing it you just drag and drop it on there and you put it on there. And, and so the, everyone's just kind of in this constant flow of prototyping in their production environment just because they can. Right. Because they can make yeah. these changes so easily and, and so I, quickly. On,
1: and when it comes to flow and process builder, I also feel like I need to, and I, I, I guess I always have to do this because I, I think I regularly send the wrong message, but I'm not, I'm not against flow or process builder. I mean, if, if it's the difference between you having some good custom functionality for your, for your operation and not, then absolutely do it. Do the flow. Do the process builder. Right, um, but if you at some point, it's I always say this, like it's, you have to know when you've crossed that line into okay. This is <laughs> we're we're needing. You know, we we have a critical mass of customization that we need to do to this and and we're running our business on it and it's really important, that's when you need to then step back, do an analysis, get, if you don't have the, you know, find someone who is qualified that can help you think through what the best way to do stuff is. And that's when I'm, and in that situation, a lot of times it's really, it's not flow. It's not process That's when you should, switch to another tool but but absolutely in certain situations yep. you know like I said if it's the difference between you you know getting down the road and not then then do it I mean it's it's a, it's a good tool for that and, it, and there's it empowers a lot of people who aren't software engineers to be able to to be able to do really good things with the system
0: which is one of the messages I have around you know concepts like architecture the, the, the right answer is just the right answer for the given set of circumstances and if the circumstances change then the answer changes um and you hope that, that a business's plans and overarching goals are such that their circumstances are generally long-term and that and that then you can build or, or configure towards a certain direction. Um, but I, I agree with you, you know, uh, uh, to say that the process builder is better than a Salesforce trigger and then create 43 process builders off a single object um, or, or to do i would what i describe as indecent and immoral things in configuration to try and satisfy it because someone said you will never write a piece of code you must do it all with configuration is to me of course always the wrong answer um so i you know the, the, salesforce gives you so many options and so much flexibility to to work so quickly which is why i like it it's a it's an instant gratification thing for me. Um, yeah. And I, I I really appreciate that kind of concepts. Um, but, you know...
1: I just, I wish the messaging, I feel like sometimes the messaging is misleading, which is, I think that's the source of most of my frustration. And also just the fact that this is now, it's a lot more surface area that I have to try to explain to clients like why... Even though Salesforce just told them this was the best thing ever, why it may not be a great idea.
0: And that's something, you know, I think everybody in the ecosystem faces when 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 someone from Salesforce blurts out that Lightning's free for an existing org um, and, and fails to add, oh, by the way, you'll need to assess your customizations, go through a change management and training program, roll it out to a pilot group, you know. <laughs> Gather feedback yep. and customize, configure to your your outcome, which is the actual answer. Um, then you know it's things are the complexities are lost in the, what they want to get across, which is a very simplistic messaging. Um, so you know it's that, that's like, the
2: messaging between you know the sales rep and and the individual buying it, and usually they bring in someone like a partner to kind of you know help implement and and those kind of conversations do end up happening. They do. They I, I do. think. I think the messaging that really kind of gets to me are just the, the, you know, the Dreamforce type messages, the the world tour messages where they just, they pump you full of energy and, and just you're, you leave the thing thinking you could do everything with point and click and you're so excited and you can't wait to go back to your, to your office and, and just start tinkering away and start building some stuff. And, and that's the danger to me is, is just that there's so many people, well, I'm not going to blame it on people. I'm just going to say there's so many, <laughs> there's so much just this infusion of just go and do it, just go and do it. Yet, you know, a lot of these people are doing it in their their production environments.
0: Yeah, and and large enterprises, large enterprises in, who are, are dealing with Salesforce are very much struggling with this as a concept. the The businesses are very, at a business level, there's a lot of joy and love in the way that they can get what they want done, orders of magnitudes faster than than other systems. Um, and then conversely, there's this this concern that. Because of them doing that, it's 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 dangerous and it's got out of control. in some cases it can and is, that is the case. Um, I don't know. it's it's a I wish I knew what the exact answer was, but people understanding understanding the platform and its pros and cons, thinking about it and being reasonable, is the start of the problem start of the solution because this this I mean I've seen it in architects where you know oh we we will use the system to solve this problem no matter what evidence to the contrary indicates that that's probably a bad idea the architect has spoken and you know <laughs> shall, you shall go forth and use this as your system um, in all sorts of perverse and just you know alarming ways you know that's wrong um, as is the the concept that you don't need to plan at all and you just need to get on with it so, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's if we if we could all just be a little bit more reasonable, <laughs> that would be a good starting point. Yeah, yeah, that's but probably a, true. Strong opinions, weakly held.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> so, but
1: anyway. I don't know. I guess to I guess to put a, a bow on the whole, you know, package thing. I just think there's there's a definite um, some amount of of dysfunction in a typical, you know. And I and I anytime you have a good sized uh, org with, you know, lots of lots of custom development. I just think there's so much that a a packaging system that enables, you know, the community to, to share well-defined, well-architected version components so and have, you know, I, sane, transitive management and, and all that stuff, well, just, I just, I don't know. Yeah, but no. I, and, and, and maybe it is putting the cart before the horse because maybe we should get a switch
0: statement first or, you know, <laughs> yeah. generics or something, But but. <laughs> but but. But I think that we kind of already have something along that lines, which is, you know, the, the concept of managed packages, right? Because I've been thinking about what you've been saying for a while now. Um, and to me, if you could install software libraries in the same way that you installed a managed package, that is, it's a very specific, intentional thing done in full view of the world, <laughs> not, not hidden in some you know, includes directory in a line of code somewhere, but it's 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 visible at the org level that this software package has been installed. And then you fix some of the, you know, unrelenting horrors of managed packages in relation to coding against them, like debug logs not being available and that sort of stuff. Then I'd actually think that was a good idea because I'm, I'm okay with one degree of separation from a library. Like, you know, you produce a software library that lets me talk to... I don't know some social security number verification service in the United States right um, and you that package is something I can install and I'm and and sure maybe it is an application and I can use it but it's also a library I can call from my my own code Um then I'd be okay with that. Where where I start to freak out is that when your library depends on, on my library that depends on Matt's library that depends on John's library, that's where things to me start to get I, I a little guess, bit. I guess. I guess. But right
1: now, the right now the way we deal with that is everyone just copies and pastes that all that code into their own project, right. Yeah. And so, you know, so John's, you know, open source, you know, FTP client library, like I copy and paste his from his GitHub, you know, project or whatever into my managed package. And so do you with your managed package. Like it's all, it's just a mess. I mean, maybe it works
0: in a but, weird way. But in some ways, that's just. I suppose a form of static compilation versus. Uh, I mean, yeah. but uh, static binding. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, 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 I mean, that's uh, it's. I just, I mean, I've I've had a Ruby project where you go to upgrade all the gems and you you stand in this you know steaming hole that was your application, wondering what the hell happened. Right? Yeah, because <laughs> because yep. suddenly so many things have changed, you never figure out. How to ever fix it? Um, and I mean, I've had the same.
1: I've had the same thing with with npm. But like I said, I mean, some of that's because. And I guess you'll never get away from this, but this these these package vendors or, or whatever they're called, you know, doing it wrong, right? Well, yeah, specifying versions wrong or or too too tightly true. coupling specific versions but, uh, or not using ranges or whatever. But
0: I like the idea of fat packages, right? I, I think I think it should be possible for you to build, say, that social security validation service. Based on top of just the standard Salesforce libraries and have no other dependency, right? And then I depend on your business level functionality, and for that, and for anything that's common, to evolve towards being part of the standard Salesforce libraries, and for us not to have to have a left pad package. Because-
1: yeah, it's just well, yeah. I mean, that's I guess that's an extreme example, but I mean, just Salesforce will never come close to be able to provide provide you know in their standard library everything that. That we need. I mean, there's just you know, I don't know. Go look at popular packages from all these different systems, and
0: I I mean, there's just so much stuff maybe. that
1: Salesforce c- can't and never will provide. I mean, you know, I mean, come on, man. They're they're busy k- keeping uh, what thirty thirty something versions of Apex and Visual Force historical versions running correctly. I mean, that's uh, that's such a giant engineering drain that they're having to deal with. And you know, we we all see. I mean, and you know, we talk about their you know their. It's not like they have, even though they, you know, do $10 billion a year in revenue, there's not, there's not extra money to throw around at this stuff.
0: I guess. I, I guess. I, I just, I felt like a long time that the Apex team seems to be three people, right? <laughs> like, I, I, well, I you wonder I, if
1: they, you wonder if there's anyone left that they're just not working on Lightning or something. I mean,
0: well, well, maybe it is. Maybe that's the problem. But it's just, yeah. I mean, there's, these are my hopes. I can't necessarily say. Well,
1: that, and, and that's the thing. Good. I mean, cause I think we all, you know, probably get chances to talk to, to, um, you know, product managers or just engineers at Salesforce or whatever. And I mean, they're they all, they all seem to be sympathetic to all these, the, all these ideas and they get it. It's just, yeah. they're, they're, it's just, you know, they're being told from on high what they're being, being given directives and they're, it's not the same things that we're saying. Yeah. So they're just, they're, they're doing their job the best they can with all the constraints they have and their existing workloads and everything. And it's just, I don't know. It's just the different, it's different priorities. I so guess. That, I just think that, and I, you know, kind of John made the point about if, yeah, maybe I'm paraphrasing or rephrasing this in a different way, but, you know, if customers aren't asking for it, then why would they do it? And I just think, and I, I certainly hope, I certainly hope that way more customers are, are asking for these things now. And I think that's why you see Salesforce DX. Oh, yeah. So maybe we should... There is, there is oh, no, maybe that's a good, maybe that's a good chance to. No, kind of there's, there's no doubt. to DX, but
0: yeah, to DX. So, so I mean, there's no doubt that this, the platform is being used in ways that are at the edges of the platform's capability in, in use in some or many use cases, and and Salesforce DX is a wonderful, you know, example that somebody at Salesforce, you know, they've listened and they have embarked on a very significant engineering process. Wade Wagner tells, you know, was at Force Landia last week and was saying something like close to 250 people are associated with, with Salesforce DX and that whole landscape of packaging and deployment and, and all that work. Um, so it's, it's, it's a massive engineering effort and that's incredibly heartening, right? When, you, when you have, we've lived in a world where so much of this stuff seems to have been forgotten for so long um, that they're, they're really, really jumping on this.
1: It is, and that's you know I I don't know I guess that's that's been a bright a bright spot for me of of hope recently is just that that simply that this initiative exists right and they're they're acknowledging that they have work to do here
2: and they're they're serious about about doing something about it um, but I, I I'm I feel like the motivation behind DX is not in the interest of you know say implementation developers like us that you know basically just customize Salesforce I really think DX from inception, was driven by ISVs. And that's maybe, where the tooling so. is going to focus. So but if
1: I can benefit from what ISVs need, I'm fine with that. No. I just
2: think that the benefit we're going to see is going to be way down the road. Mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think right now they're focused on packaging and metadata, which doesn't really do much for me right now.
0: I, I think it's mostly motivated by the um, um, by large-scale Salesforce implementations of vendors. Uh, sorry, at customer sites. That's what I think it is. Because... Mm. I don't think they've ever had much love. The you know, ISVs have struggled for a long time and things have gotten better, but there's changes to the ISV program right now in terms of Salesforce wanting to take more revenue off people. So I'm still not sure that that story's fully in favour of vendors, ISV vendors, but... Um, I I think it's really these large-scale Salesforce implementations at, at big clients where there's a lot of work being done, a lot of customization work being done, and everybody wants, you know, everybody wants continuous integration now, right? Everybody wants DevOps, Oh, yeah, that's and a and a platform that yeah. cannot do because that
1: because they because they read that in a magazine. Yeah, DevOps.
0: But does, right? does <laughs> DX give you
2: continuous integration? Um,
1: it does. It doesn't, it doesn't. It's not like a, it's it's not a continuous integration platform. It just I think one of its goals
2: is to make CI more possible with less friction. Yeah, but see, I mean, for, I mean, with DX and and the crux of DX being scratch orgs, I mean, it, it seems like it's it's really geared towards t- testing your code and your logic against various scenarios of environment setups. I think. It, Am I wrong? Oh. And that seems to cater to ISVs. A, a, a large a, a company with a large let, let's say a large large implementation. Let's say they're, you know, Fortune 10 or something, and they've got this mass amount of users and they're building all these customizations, their their setup, their production environment isn't going to vary aside from the customizations they're making specifically for that. So how does scratch orgs help so, with So
1: so to your to your point, and again I'll I'll support you here with this question. Um let's say I want a scratch org, and I'm I'm not an ISV, I'm just a, a corporate developer, right? Right. I got a scratch org. I want to deploy all my stuff to. So I, I want to get, I got to get, first of all though, before I even start, I got to get everything out of, produ- I want to get all my metadata from production so I have, I can do it, mm-hmm. my initial, you know, my git commit dash m initial commit, right? Right. <laughs> it's my initial commit. How DX doesn't even seem to have a way to actually do that step one. Yeah. I can't even get my metadata out of the org. And and it turns out there's no great way to get all your metadata. In fact, big ass force, they just posted something on Twitter earlier uh, this week that was like oh hey here's a way you can use the ant tool ant migration tool to get all your metadata except it comes with the big asterisk that it always has which is all the foldered items it can't really handle without more yeah whatever and there's tooling that you can use so, that, on top of that or whatever but you know it just doesn't solve that initial problem and then and then the other thing the other problem that the big problem that I've got is okay. Now I've got I've got all my metadata. I've let's say I've I put it into a sandbox or a scratch org. I, I've made a bunch of changes. I've added you know some more functionality, and I've got I've got all that change metadata pulled down, committed into my Git repository. Now I just want to take those that exact bits and get it into production. Mm-hmm. That's also a completely as far as I can tell unaddressed problem.
2: Right. And that was my original thought of what scratch orgs were, was this, this kind of org that you can stand up and you could set it up and basically it becomes your build and then you could push that to production.
0: Yeah, so scratch orgs, as I understand them right now, are basically blank orgs based around a specific edition. They're going to allow you to specify templates and also spin scratch orgs off your production org, like dev sandboxes, in the future, just not yet. So at the moment, it's a blank org you have to push everything into. And they're even recommending you don't push everything in. You push in only the bits that are specific to the bits you're working on, which gets back to
1: Yeah, that, that, must, that makes no sense. Like, well, developing in a contextless environment, it, I mean, it, it, what, what can possibly go wrong? It, you know? Yeah,
0: there is that element of we didn't solve namespaces for you now, but our recommendation is you should <laughs> use namespaces to solve this problem. But, yeah, that that all aside, moving right along, um, because, I, I mean, I... <laughs> This is one of these ones where I'm more inclined to get behind the cart and push it.
1: <laughs> oh, I, I totally am too. I yeah. mean I totally support this. I mean yeah. it's you know, I still think it's early days and, and just Salesforce has so, you know, they're a twenty year old company. They've got a ton, ton, ton of legacy technology that they're having to deal with. And I know it's probably like, you know, waiting through cold molasses. So I get it. I mean and Wade you know, I know the Wade and some of the other people I've talked to are, are super smart guys and trying to do all the right things, so I'm fully supportive.
2: I mean I I'm I can't wait to see, you know, what they do next. So, it's just,
1: it's, you know, it's yeah. Gonna be a, it's I'm not promoting
2: road. it. I, I just think that some of these gaps do have to be understood because I think right now people oh, are yeah, really confused yeah. about we're, 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 what it is and what it really is. And so these type of conversations I think are really important, especially yeah. at this point in time. Because I, 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 otherwise, people are just going to go into this thinking it solves all their
0: problems, and it doesn't. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with you. It's like everything comes out. We've got a You've got to take it. You've got to kick it. You've got to hit it. You've got to see what mm-hmm. it does, and then come back with the answer. And to take it at face value as everything that gets released is is really really detrimental. We've got to apply critical thinking. Um, so, and I'm to my discredit, you know, I haven't sat down with Salesforce DX, spent any quality time with it. I've just seen the demos. Um, there's something like 19. Just as an aside, there's 19 separate teams involved in Force DX. Um, I believe it. Oh, yeah,
2: metadata, packaging, just so much, yeah.
0: Um, Yeah,
2: that's something that's kind of been bubbling up in conversations that I've noticed is that Salesforce, at least engineering-wise, seems to be broken up into teams and certain teams handle certain modules or APIs and can you imagine getting just the right people at, yeah. at around a table to make a decision on something? Yeah. Oh, I, I, so I can imagine the challenge of trying to unify this DX around all those different I systems and all those different this, groups with their own yeah,
0: priorities. But they run Scrum teams, and the Scrum teams run around products, and this is why some products literally just stop because they dissolve the Scrum team and move them off to other projects. So for a long Lightning. time, <laughs> I, for a long time, I believe Visual Force didn't actually have anybody working on it. Right, Um yeah, I believe that it, it um, did get and get stale for a while. So you know, and you know, I assume they're yeah. Well, I assume the reason Visual Force can't look like. Lightning is because no one wants to go and poke that particular. I thought bear. I
2: heard that in a coming release that they were going to start trying to style some of the visual well, Force components. Th- I aunts, don't think
1: they can do that. That would break too much, right? Well, would it would be a things.
2: completely separate, unique. It would. It almost be like taking, you have to opt in. You, you know how when they took the 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 original theme to like Aloha theme. It's going to be that type of thing, yeah. I think, mm-hmm. where it just has the look and feel, but it's still the underlying same markup and components,
0: but yep. they style it to look like closer to to Lightning. Um, and
2: I, and don't quote me on that, but I thought I heard something along those lines.
0: Well, their answer to getting Lightning to look like Salesforce, Visual Force look like Lightning, was to basically say, "Throw out all those tags we told you to use and rebuild the entire thing in HTML with a light splattering of Visual Force tags in the middle of it." And if you use the right HTML based on Lightning Design System, congratulations. It now looks like Lightning. Um Yeah, and I've done that too, yeah. to some success. It is, but I, I don't consider that to be an answer. <laughs> Sorry. I, <laughs> I I want theme equals lightning. Page, Apex page, theme equals lightning. Um and that's I think what of, I you know, I've got I've got a, a
1: particular client I, I kind of think of when I think of what might be involved in some of these big organizations moving to Lightning. And this is a client where I think we, I think this team was, you know, has been intact for three years, um, f- about five, you know, five to six members, depending, um, at any given time, really probably one of the best, most, uh, you know, just high functioning product de- or, you know, pr- development teams I've ever worked on. I mean, just one, six after, after, after another, we literally, I don't think I've ever failed anything. Right. <clears throat> um, but it's we've we've built and built and built and built and built and this large organization runs so much of off of what, everything we've built, and I think of what would be required to convert them to lightning. And and I, I know the answer is well, you don't do it all at once, right? You do it. You, fit, yeah. you come up with a strategy. You do it in pieces. But I just still, I just I think of how do I even go to this client and say, okay, yeah, we we're going to do it, and it's going to be a a process over time. But it's it's just all it's refactoring and and. You know, it's it's the joke or whatever about you know con, con, trying to convince your client to even spend one sprint on refactoring is um, is usually a no go. Well, you know, to, to try to convince them to spend the next year on refactoring is is
0: the, the uh, dangerous hard. thing. Is it's a hard sell, it's, and this happens with content management systems where the cost of re-implementing your website in the content management system is is ex, is the same cost as replacing the entire product. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the great elephant in the room that. If you tell a large customer they've got to spend all that money rebuilding it again, that they might turn around and say, well, how about we do it again? But this time we'll use Dynamics or Oracle yep, or something yep. like that. Um, that, which is unfortunate. But, you know, they had to make the jump. I, I was well, a, it's un, it's I, unfortunate because Dynamics and Oracle probably don't have any better
2: solution. It's no, they just, don't. I guess it's, don't. it's
0: different. But it's an emotional reaction, right? It's <laughs> yes. A, it's, it's, I, I, I find
2: that it interesting the, the situation that Salesforce finds them in because I… He asked me five years ago, and I wouldn't have thought this would have been possible for it to happen this way. Because one of the arguments for traditional software development is you, someone installs some product, some on-prem, and they never get off of it because there's no compelling reason for them to upgrade to the newer version. It's paid for, right? But and with Salesforce and subscriptions, you o- you were always on this current version, and you're always but, paying for it, right? And you're always paying yep. for it. But now Salesforce finds themselves in the same position as on-prem, which is people are on Classic and they're not moving to Lightning, right? Because they have so much investment, and there's not enough a compelling reason for them to go to Lightning.
0: And I, you know, I felt for a long time that Lightning was a bit of an existential threat to Salesforce, right? If they didn't get it right, they have a, had a really Big problem. And you know, as a customer said to me once when I said we well, don't have to worry about upgrading, they came back immediately with except for lightning. And I went, yeah. Oh yeah, you're right there. On that. <laughs> <Yeah>. I, <laughs> Oops. So, because because <laughs> I because it, it was true. And 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 you know, lots of enterprises literally die on the basis their IT departments are dying because of this upgrade problem of trying to keep everything up to date because their lights on costs are massive. And the benefits of Salesforce in that regard are huge. Unfortunately, we've got a chasm here we need to to jump, which is lightning. And, and I've been a lightning, I won't say sceptic, but warrior for quite some time. It wasn't until summer came out and it, its performance issues were for the most part from my concern addressed that I, I'm I'm very much a believer now. And having sat down to do a lightning implementation and, and played around with it, the the level of flexibility we now have that we never used to have is profound right i mean replacing the the standard page layout and and salesforce classic was the nuclear option you you had to do it but when you did it it was like you regretted only once and that was continuously um whereas whereas lightning now gives you so many more more flexibility to mix and match the applications it's just getting over this hump that's just just yeah horrible
2: yeah, i I do appreciate the flexibility that lightning offers and, and the layout engine, and I can I can only see that getting better. I, I am a little concerned about how heavy these pages will get as people because it's so easy to drag and drop all these different unique components with their own. Inefficiencies, I'll say, um, oh, yeah, because
1: they're they're all they're all developed in a silo, right? They're not they're not um, they piggybacking are. the re- you know the requests together or anything like that, right? And,
2: but, and data services might help with that with some of that inefficiency because you are supposed to have access to a lot of that and respond to better events when data changes. But right now, it is kind of this this little sandbox. There's like a t- ten different sandboxes on your page right
0: now, right? And that's the but that's to me similar to the going back to the libraries problem, right? Where everybody turns their little thing into a Epic (laughs) application, able to to do all sorts of stuff uh, in splendid isolation, Um, and then eventually the cumulative weight of it all kills you. Um, Yeah. But the fact now that they've gotten the standard user interface to not die of performance issues um, gives me some heart.
2: And yeah. Yeah, I'm a little concerned about the, the error handling and, and how, in some cases, a component can break the entire page. So I'm still concerned about that, but I think that's going to get yeah. solved
0: over time. But. That's JavaScript, right? I mean, yeah. what can you do? Um, at least now reloading the entire application doesn't take 42 seconds um, when you hit refresh. So.
1: Yeah, I, still got, um, I was working with a new just uh, something small for a, a a company that's new to Salesforce, and we were doing a screen share the other day, and um, it's she logs into Salesforce, and as soon as she logs in, she switches to Classic. And I was like, "Oh, why would you switch? Why did you switch back?" And she said, oh, "It's just Lightning's too slow," and she's new to Salesforce. She's you know relatively new, It'd been you know a few okay. months now, and which is weird because I also noticed that summer seventeen was was much faster, but um, it, it is a lot faster, but it's not.
0: It's not as fast as it should well, be. Well, and
1: sometimes it seems like lightning just starts dragging. It's yeah. just like all of a sudden it's just, you know. Yeah. I don't know.
0: I, 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 I mean, down here in Australia, we got it probably worse than anyone, right? With latency and, and stuff like that. Um, and I've spent some time, you know, working with it. And it just, for me, it worked at the speed I was working, which is something that had never, ever happened in all the other times I'd used you know, lightning. So for me, you
2: mean using it as a user, just point and clicking around, or use, not development. Uh,
0: using it as a user. So I, I, I actually, we've got our own Salesforce org, and so I built. You know, you're gonna laugh, but I, I basically built a recruiting app, right? Built inside mm-hmm. Salesforce. So I was customizing and configuring and then using it. Um, And so I'd I'd use it for a workflow and then I'd go back and adjust the configuration. So it was a very iterative approach to building something for myself that I was practically going to use. And at no point during the entire process did I sit here yelling at the 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 screen that I was waiting for something. And for me, that was something I only realized when I suddenly sat back and thought, hey, hang on, (laughs) that was actually pretty neat. Like I had that yeah you know, you know, you've had that feeling where you you've got happy because you've been building mm-hmm. something and everything's just been working I don't, don't know if you ever get that feeling <laughs> um, but but it was that sense of forward progression without um, without irritation and so yeah. that was the the feeling it gave with me, and I can't really quantify it any better than that um, but it was the first time it had happened because the first time I used lightning, I think I worked for with it for about four minutes and went. My God, you know what have they done? Um, and I think <laughs> they knew that as well, right?
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely. Well, I mean, I think I feel like at this point they've definitely you know proven that the the vision is is uh, is feasible, right? And it's the oh, it's just it's the legacy. The problem, though, it's just these all these orgs that are giant. It's like how in the hell are they? Yeah, gonna, so that's I, I that's
0: know. up to us as developers and and professionals to help people unpick their their monstrosities in a way that it gives them a roadmap forward without yep. just throwing our hands in the air and saying, well, actually, no, you need to start again from scratch, which is an answer no business person will ever, ever accept. But, right. you know, I think if you understand the problem and you understand the domain, then you should be able to Pick it apart, right? And and maybe that's as simple as stripping the headers off the, and sidebars off your current Visual Force pages, and just embedding them inside the Lightning UI.
2: Yeah, a lot of them can just be tabbed in to the current UI. So that, yeah. I mean, there's 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 ways to kind of keep it going. And I've built those kind of hybrid things. Like even now, if I'm forced to write something as a Visual Force page, I I make it look like Lightning. I use the Lightning design system. And, you know, I just tell them, I'm giving you a path forward. You know, well, look yeah. at
1: the strategies. I mean, I guess the same strategy Salesforce is used for like a lot of the setup screens. They're still, they're just, they're like iframing yeah. in the standard. Yep. Yep. I and mean, that's, you know, that's, you know, you've got to have some kind of evolutionary strategy and something like that. But yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just daunting for some of these, but whatever. It's just, um, it's
0: at least we don't, you know, at least it's a forward motion. There, there are the platforms where they you basically the value proposition is you will spend all this money upgrading and get exactly what you've got. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but we, re, we refactored, <laughs> but it's on the latest version now. It's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well,
2: and I will say with lightning, there, it, there is some value there. There is some value add in the, in the layout and even some of the uh, new features that are there and the way you can organize things that I've built custom for customers before and I'm like, you know what they they don't need this custom screen anymore. This is already provided in Lightning as native.
0: And it's not necessarily the default UI. It's it's like the service console. I I love the service console. Um, There's so much power in the service console for building a user interface that really, really, really works without ever having to write a line of code. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is now, that kind of flexibility is available to you in Lightning. Um, And so... Um, and so... I like that's yeah. all
2: customers really want. Everyone just wants a, a freaking console app. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's like... <laughs>
2: I've, so, I've, I've built so many custom screens of of organizing and, and and basically creating a screen that will let you modify all these different, you know, tasks and activities and accounts and contacts all from one screen, because everyone just wants this one spot. They don't want to go to different screens. They want this one thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And now, at least, Lightning lets you do that, right? mm mm-hmm. So... Yeah, you know, I think that that I think the power of it isn't as yet to really sink in.
1: That could no. be. Um, so I have a I have a question I've been wanting to ask you, Stephen. Or I was thinking earlier. Yeah. Um, you work on some. So you you work at Accenture. You you've you work on probably big projects. You've probably worked on several big projects. Um, what is uh, both at Accenture and other places and just whatever? And you you know your colleagues keep this generic here right but in in your uh, in your in your own work and your discussion with colleagues what do you feel like the state of you know an agile software development process is in you know typical you know i would say medium to large salesforce projects
0: um it's an interesting question
1: um I mean, are, are people doing Agile? Or are they doing it well? Or are they doing it poorly? Well... The, is it a big thing? Do customers want it? Or do they not even know what it is? You
0: know? There's... Well, I can tell you some lessons I've learned. The first thing is bringing a large... Bringing Agile into an organization that's never done Agile before in a large scale is an absolutely terrible idea, right? Um, it's, it's just because people... you know, There's two things they take out of Agile. The first one is we should have a meeting every day. <laughs> yeah, so it's a scrum right. um, but it's okay because yep. we're standing up so it's all, all right yeah. um, and two I can change my mind <laughs> um, yeah. and that's about all they get and they fail to take on the the sense of ownership that you're supposed to have as a product manager um, where of actually owning owning it and making decisions and most of all making compromises because yep. agile doesn't guarantee anything except you'll get the things you want most first. Um, it won't necessarily guarantee you it'll cost you a certain amount of money or take a certain amount of time, or that you'll get anything. Everything you want, it will just guarantee that what you want the most will arrive first. And that's my yeah. interpretation.
1: Yeah, no, um, which is I actually I think is a, a really beneficial and important part of it. Yeah.
0: Um, so I do see I see a lot of customers doing it. Um I see conflicts when it comes into contract contact with things that are less agile for instance data migrations and systems integrations they tend not to respond I think well to an agile mindset um, and so that truly exploratory nature of agile I think is actually very 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 difficult to con- to, to 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 actually accomplish um, also, you know, the Salesforce platform has problems with, you know, refactoring and changing direction. There's certain things I think that once they're in place are, are not easy to change, um, like your data model, once you yep. get coding, um, mm-hmm. your naming structures, once you get going. Um, and so to me, there's some uncomfortable Elements of, of Salesforce in relation to that. So, yeah. what do I think? Um, most of our customers so are, are most, you typically most, the yep. ones to
2: introduce Agile to your customers. So, when you come in, I imagine you're going to a company and you're saying we do agile. Yeah, what do you I mean? What do you lead with?
1: You know, what process do you lead with? When it's when it's. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of customers are probably. you know, you're the expert. You know, they've hired you know a, a nice firm to come in and do this. They're like, you know, they're they're interested oh. in what what you are going to say, what you're going to you know what you're going to propose. So what do you what do you lead with? What, you know? So
0: we've got a number of we've got a number of different methodologies around things like design thinking and then scaled agile framework. Um, and also our own specific methodology around implementing Salesforce, and they're all slightly different, in the, and they address different areas. But for me, the key thing is what's the most what's the most progressive approach you can bring to a customer, given the customer's mindset and capabilities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen, you know. A company known very, very much for its agileness, um, you know, very being very big on agile, um, and and they're known as being agile zealots. And I, I won't mention their name, but if you've been around, you might know who I'm referring to. Um, you know, I've seen them walked from customer sites, and I've seen them get senior it leadership fired right because they took they took an organization on a journey that the organization was not ready or able to follow on Mm. Um, Mm. and they did so in that kind of zealotry kind of way which i find hilarious that when people say agile fail, it's because you didn't follow the process, which is particularly humorous when the first line is "We favour people over process" um, in the, the Agile exactly. Manifesto. Yeah. That's always yeah. an amusing one. Um, so for me, it's it's really you've got to take a what's the pro- most progressive thing you can bring to an organisation given their current set of capabilities, and 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 you'll often find a lot of customers aren't terribly mature in their ability to execute IT projects and it's not their fault because they just don't do them very often right the, the people who 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 maintain and run an organization are not the same kind of people who can bring widespread change to an organization which is what a, a large-scale project is so there's a natural mismatch between the two concepts so you know this and this is where the large system integrators you know for all are Faults and and uh, and and uh, jokes made behind our backs are uh, are um, sort of have the strengths in that space of being able to bring in the change management and bring in the program management and bring in the kind of contractual controls that when uh, you're a small scale Salesforce integrator you're really just being carried away. By the client and their whims and their 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 emotions, so you know that, that's sort of where my headspace is at. So um, I would I, I think there's a number of things that are just universal. I think are apparent. I think working in small bun- in groups like working sorry working in small increments. So the sprint or the iteration or the, any concept that allows us to basically measure progress over a period of time <laughs> and have enough of those periods of times in the duration of the project for us to accurately track progress is a really good idea. So that might be your, your sprint. It's a week mm-hmm. or two weeks or three weeks or four weeks. Um, that's one of those key things. Um and, and yeah, basic concepts like user stories are important because they give you a list of things to do, right? Um, and so many projects fail because they don't—you don't have a list of specific things you're going to do, so you can never measure how you're going. Um, yeah. And they don't put any time constraints on you, so you're always borrowing from tomorrow. You know, we'll get better next time. And tomorrow will yep. be a better day. Tomorrow will be a better day, <laughs> and pretty soon you've run out of project. So that's where the the iterations and the sprints really, really focus the minds on the fact that, holy crap, we thought we'd get this done this time, and we didn't, you know, we only got half of it done. Um, So I need more people or less requirements or I need to really look at what we're doing in terms of efficiency. So I think those things are core to us. And I I don't think... um, Yeah. Any any other methodology you do always contains a mixture of those things. I'm not sure if I've answered the question, but that's just some of my musings.
1: (laughs) No. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I I don't know. I, I think this is I think this is one of these things that I think everyone probably struggles with. And there's no you know there's no pure agile or pure waterfall i mean it's all in fact even agile you can look at it as a bunch of really small waterfall projects right
0: oh yeah absolutely Um, and and i think but but it's valuable to go into the engagement with a point of view right um and then to adjust that point of view as reality sinks in
1: exactly and and to me the to me the big thing that i always try to and and i feel like so much of this is and maybe this is you know kind of plays into what you're talking about with organizations that are just not ready or they didn't understand it or whatever. But I mean, the the hardest part of about this whole processing for me these days is basically client education. Like I'm going in unless it's unless it's an organization that they're maybe they already have a sophisticated IT organization or they're a so, they're a software development company themselves. I mean, I'm doing if you know no. if that's not the case. And I'm usually doing a lot of education. I'm trying to get them to understand that. I mean, yes, you know, someone might give you this big proposal that says you're going to get all these things over this course of time for this amount of money, but it's basically a charade. Like, they have no idea whether they're going to be able to do that, and you have no idea whether that's what you're going to need by the end of the project.
0: No, and so all you can do is you can just work in small increments and test the hypothesis, right, and see how you're you're going in that regard. Um, And, and, you know, it's it's not – what it – you like to think that everything's forward progression, but as someone once said, it's not twenty years of progress; it's one year repeated twenty times, right? Yeah. And and that's it's like, oh, I've been I've been a software engineer for twenty years.
1: How how good am I? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Did you do the same <laughs> crappy work for you
0: know the twenty? But 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 <laughs> you're always encountering a customer who's never done this before, right? I mean, sure. some of these back end systems customers might replace every you know, five, ten, fifteen, twenty years, you know, and the people who are around who put it in aren't around anymore um and, and that's where that fallacy of let's
2: document this because we didn't have document from the, from before
0: <laughs> comes in. well I, I worked in a, a company where they had the same mainframe system for 20 years right and 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 you literally had to go and sit on someone's knee and, and have them tell you a tale oh, unfortunately yeah. they couldn't tell you a tale because they don't think about the system as a holistic entity they thought about it as a series of small programs they worked on um what I was al- alarmed and amused to find was that I actually found the room in the building that contained all th- the thousands of pages of typewritten notes, which described oh, wow. the entire mainframe application from the original vendors. Um, and guess what? I tried to get someone to read it and they didn't want to read it, right? Um, I tried to scan it and, and put it in a knowledge base and everyone just looked at me blankly. So I don't know. I don't know what it's just in that human nature to. To just not, you know, learn from the past. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a it's part of why, you know, the job of being a developer is being so much more than code. Um, and particularly being an independent contractor, you have got a. The only way you're going to survive is if you educate your customer, um, and you know, because there's customers you can that that just aren't amenable to common sense. You know the the I
1: don't know I think the good news is is that these days about 70% of the for, for the for the customers that aren't sophisticated and they aren't they're not, you know, they they don't build software for a living. About 70% of the time now they're very open to the idea of agile. They they like when I talk to them about um how that this is a way they can reduce their risk and have like a way higher likelihood of getting something that's actually valuable at the end, right? Oh, they they really kind of get oh, that. I don't are. know if I've – I feel like I'm – and I really don't give myself any credit for this because I, feel, I still feel like I'm terrible at educating and I'm not a good trainer. Um but I think it's just that people you know it's a, this is 2017 right people have heard people most people have heard of agile like they've they've heard of it or they've heard of lean or their company does lean or something right they've heard of these concepts and so it's it's you know I'm not starting from a completely cold oven here
0: No I um, I agree with you and the other great constraining element is that's not standard functionality right and with salesforce right so that's the other thing to use is to explain what they want in the context of a standard salesforce function and how different what it is they want is from the standard salesforce function and that's a really useful metric to try and convince someone that the what they wanting is not necessarily um uh, the right idea, and then to open up the conversation to what is your actual problem you're trying to solve, and can I provide you an alternate way of solving that problem? It, that isn't it precisely what you've just described to me now. Is 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 how you want it solved? Um, and you know, I say you know, customers, you've you've kind of got a budget of a hundred dollars. Where do you want to spend your hundred dollars? You know, in terms of customization, and and is this a big enough problem? to hit with the hammer of coding. Um, And I find that these are all useful ways of focusing people's minds and having them reconsider and readjust what they're doing. So, yeah, that's the sort of stuff. I wonder if there's
2: also an element of just kind of instant gratification that seems to be... Kind of what people are used to these days. They are used to be able to get things quickly and easily. Oh, yeah. see results, and, yep. and I, I think that's the story of agile. Well, kind of caters hey, to that. With,
1: with Salesforce, their their latest press release was you can have you can get Service Cloud up and running in a day, one yeah. day custom custom service guide implementation but
2: i think that also kind of lends to where where agile is a little more accepting is that you know you're you're kind of told that you're going to get to see things more often you get to, get to see results weekly or if not weekly you know we, we we adjust and and that kind of mindset kind of i think helps alleviate this whole black hole mentality of waterfall where you got to tell us everything cuz a month later when we come back with this thing built you yeah. better do everything you said yeah. otherwise
0: you're screwed right. i i can <laughs> safely say i emoted when i saw that press release about setting up Service Cloud in a day. Um I had feelings. Um yeah. Well you can uh,
2: technically set it up in a day yeah. i you've done that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. true. Um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you're right about the agile and the gratification. But that's I mean that's it that should be the way it works, right? You shouldn't you know it's it's kind of horrifying to think there was a time when someone said, we'll get back to you in a year and show you the system. Yeah. Even even our even our biggest, biggest projects that we're running right now um we have we have playback sessions on a fortnightly basis that often involve 50 or 60 people sitting in a room and the team goes through demonstrating the functionality that was built in the last fortnight you know and that's a team of a development team working on that project in the order of 30 to 40 people yeah well, that's um, a big team yeah that's a big team. um and it's a big project right um and and but that's that's the agile aspect, that's the playback aspect of it. And and all of our, our stuff is along those kind of variations. And customers really like it. You know, they're they're seeing what they they're paid for. Yeah.
1: You know? There's a um there's a book called Agile Estimating and Planning. And I think it's by Mike Cohn, if I remember correctly. And I, I think it's in this book. He talks about how um, any any project, and of course, he's you know he's referring mainly to agile projects, obviously. But you know, you're not just building the thing you're building; you're also building a ton of knowledge. Um, because when anytime you go through a significant project, everyone learns a ton about you know the, um, I guess the domain, right? Like in the business and all, and and the technology, right? And and uh, because you're building all this knowledge, that's that's why it's so critical to do. Not only iterative development, but like, you know, these like you said, these kind of bi-monthly, which that's the translation for the Americans. Uh, uh sorry. Um <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, these demos because you get to see what's happened and learn from it. And we and we get to talk about what we learned. Not only like we show, but we talk about what we learned. And it and you got the business people, you've got, you know, the product owners, you've got the developers, and and you get to then incorporate all that learning into the next iteration. And, and that's just one of those things with Waterfile. I feel like you kind of forego all that.
0: In, oh, uh, and people are terrible, terrible, terrible at visualizing, right? Mm-hmm. Very few people can, can conceptually imagine a system based on a series of requirements, right? And to see it, though. That, well, I don't think anyone that, can. That I, I sure still can't. Um uh, I'd like to think I can. When you've built the same thing a couple of times, then I can sort of do it. <laughs> but yeah, I yeah. mean, and also if requirements are terrible, then yeah, you're pretty much in trouble. Um, but yeah, mo- but I'm I'm talking about even things like data entry screens. Sometimes people just don't get it. Right, they have to see it to to really understand yeah. it. Um, so yeah, but um, just as an aside, I think I need to go. So. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we can well, wrap this up. We've, yeah,
2: we've been on this for what an hour and a half.
0: Yeah, my my family's <laughs> staring at me, so <laughs>
2: they're they're probably hungry. So it's it's after
1: lunchtime. They yeah start yeah, yeah and right I've now. had <laughs> I've,
0: I've had lunch <laughs> made, so I've had a few people looking at me. Gotcha. Doorway.
1: <laughs> well, so I, I should I should say that uh you know you're our esteemed guest, Stephen Herod. We. uh <laughs> I don't know if we ever <laughs> introduced your name. Me. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of, you know, of, <laughs> of code coverage fame and, uh, you We're
0: know, and pieces. But, well,
1: regular speaker at uh, various Salesforce events and things. So <laughs> I'm glad you could come on. I know this is kind of weird scheduling, but um, no, uh, I figured it's, it's, only it's only fair after I after I uh, mischaracterized <laughs> your views yeah, on, on various good. things. They Probably might. over the years,
0: but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'm not a complete jerk. Just yeah. Fine. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. It's been great being on here and I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah. Yeah, hopefully, you put up with my rants. So, you yeah, know, keep, oh, is, keep, keep Jeremy run for his money. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, I need yeah.
1: some competition. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care, guys. All right. Thanks, Stephen. Bye. All right.
1: Well, um, again, thanks for everyone who has come back and found us. We are, you know, back up to our pre Squarespace failure numbers and yes. uh, I think growing beyond that. So, that's great. So, please keep sharing us. Um, tell a friend. We have an awesome Slack community where uh, some really nice people just get together and talk about all kinds of things, and we help each other. If you're not in the community, you might want to check it out. Go to gooddayserpodcast.com, click on Community. John will add you to the community. Uh, iTunes reviews are great. You know, heart us and the things and give us the stars and the overcast and iTunes and podcast or whatever. Facebooks. Yeah, we do have a Facebook thing, you know. We do. I I think we need to convert it to something because uh, people can't leave us reviews on there. Anyway, uh but most importantly I would say, well, I don't know my most importantly, but certainly equally importantly, we have an email address called info at goodday where we do uh, accept questions, topics. If you want to rant, if you uh, you know, want us to cover a topic or something, let us know. Or if you just got a really wicked riddle you yeah. want us to try to yeah. solve. <laughs> I guess if you're good at those. But anyway, uh we should also mention the beers. So during this, uh you know, we did we, I feel like we were just I had, there was no good time to stop and talk about beer, but we had two beers. One was uh, my latest homebrew, which is a strawberry
2: vanilla milkshake IPA. What did you think yeah. of that one, John? Um, I didn't get strawberry, but I got the vanilla. You didn't get strawberry? No. <laughs> and I, I actually I, drew, I drank it in stages, so I, I, wait, I waited for it to warm up because when I first smelled it, I got a very kind of citrusy orange juice. And then as it warmed up, I started to get the vanilla, so it started kind of turning into a, a creamsicle. Type flavor so this
1: this beer is really more than any other beer I've made, really exemplifies this idea that different people can drink the same eat or drink the same thing and taste different things. so to some people, this is loaded with strawberries, and to me, it's got a lot of strawberries i mean maybe and
2: maybe it's because I know what i I mean I put ten pounds of pureed strawberries in this. well, there was an element of bitterness that i that i that I took as orange juice type of bitterness. But I can see how you know if you eat a strawberry and you get that strawberry bitterness, yeah, you know. But I wasn't getting like that sweet strawberry type flavor. It and, was more on the orange juice creamsicle side of things. And I built this, and that's good. I actually I take that as a compliment. Um,
1: th- this I built this recipe from scratch, kind of with keeping it somewhat basic. And I couldn't decide: do I want it? Do I want this to be first and foremost a legitimate IPA with some actual detectable bitterness, which mm-hmm. an IPA should have? Um, and just, and then fruit on top of that or do I want this to be just an all out milkshake where it's it's sweet it's fruity and there's no bitterness mm. and i went the i went the first route i mean i you know it's got it's probably 50 60 ibus so there's some bitterness there but i actually think on my next i might revise this and just try one with basically no bittering charge at all. And I had a small
2: out. glass of that because I'm not good with the sweet ones. I, I prefer the bitterness. The other thing that's funny is this is actually
1: this, I mean, because I, I, I measure the gravity, the starting gravity, finishing gravity, all that. So I, I know that this is actually not a sweet beer, but you, you get all these fruity esters that you mm-hmm. smell and taste, and also the vanilla. And our brain tricks us into thinking that we're tasting sweet, but we're really not tasting sweet. Just like when you smell something, when you smell a sour beer, you're like, ooh, that's sour. Well, you can't smell sour. But your brain knows to correlate certain compounds that that are, that volatilize with the actual feeling of sour on your palate.
2: I didn't know that. Yeah.
1: But it's the same thing with this. Like, it, it, it kind of smells and tastes sweet, even though it's,
2: this is not a sweet beer, I promise you. It's
1: weird, though. Isn't that, isn't that weird? Yeah. Anyway. Well, um,
2: the next one that you gave me, that was a shocker. That one... That one, uh, that was a weird flavor at first. I don't I know if it was I a think transition like, from I think the it was other beers. Trans- I think that's one. what it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, whoa. That's. In fact, I, I kind of got this like, um... is this tunnel vision? Yeah, tunnel yeah. vision.
1: So it... by bearded iris, right? Which they're in Nashville.
2: Yeah. yeah, I like their stuff. They do all these, you know, New England IPAs, hazy bunch of hazy stuff. I mean, I was getting the bitterness, but I was also getting this kind of, and I don't know. If, I, it, I think it's changed on me, but when I first tasted, I was getting kind of this really weird grassy herbal flavor out of it. Yeah. Um. And now I'm just kind of getting standard IPA bitterness, so that might just be my palate getting used to it. But that was the big shock that I got when I first tasted it.
1: I experienced the same thing, which is weird because I've had this beer, this exact beer before television, and it wasn't, it's not that, you don't get that shock when you just, when you're drinking it from,
2: kind of from a fresh palate. So is that transition then? Yep.
1: (laughs) All right, John, well, it is 10 o'clock PM, man. This was uh, an interesting, <laughs> I unusual. What happened to the, end, to rush to you the know, restroom? You know the the things the <laughs> things we do to bring uh, interesting guests to the show, right? Yeah, <laughs> we're getting better. Yeah, our, our setup's still s- yeah. still ghetto. Got a few cables we need to replace, but yeah. <laughs> we're, we're always in transition. Yeah, it's agile. We're we're improving it. Every there you
2: week. go. <laughs> agile podcasting, yeah. and to that I say good day, sir.
0: You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir!